Welcome to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. We want to encourage, equip, and connect those with a passion to impact the next generation for Jesus Christ. Student ministry can be a lonely place. You might even feel like you're the only one in your church or community that cares about students. Well, know this, you're not alone. People all across the country are engaging Gen Z and care deeply about the spiritual direction of these young men and women. Whether you're full-time, part-time, bivocational, or volunteer, if you have a heart for students, this is the place for you. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Dan Carson, and I'm the Director of Student Ministry Matters. I'm thrilled that you're joining us for today and another conversation about student ministry. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to like, review, and share a podcast with others, especially those working with students. Now, in today's podcast, I'm sharing the second of two episodes that I recorded with Samuel Burig, author and editor of Fulfill Your Student Ministry. Sam serves as the Dean of Spurgeon College at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri. He served as a student pastor in Arkansas for six years and now serves as an elder at Liberty Baptist Church in Liberty, Missouri. He holds a bachelor's degree in theology from Washita Baptist University and received his Master of Divinity from Southern Seminary. Let's hop back into our conversation with Sam. You begin your your chapter of discipleship and student ministry with with the the article the the mandate. It says healthy student ministries seek to cultivate a culture focused on life on life and one on one spiritual formation through Bible reading and prayer over event driven and activities based programs. And as I stated before, I love these these articles. I, I think that is helps bring clarity to what we're doing in the area of student ministry and what we're working through and what looks healthy. Uh, but my question in regard to that is, why do you think so many student ministries default to this activities-based programs model? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I mean, I honestly think it's because uh, you're working for your supper, and that's a really hard you know, truth. And But your church, depending on how healthy it is, they're judging you um, in, in the way it manifests itself as I've seen it. They're judging you, and I mean that in a neutral way. They're judging you based on, hey, how many kids came to that program? How many kids came to that Wednesday night? Right. Um, how many are involved in Sunday school? And and to do that, you it, the easy fix is to try to you know give firecrackers and 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 do something that gets people there, and and it's not rooted in the real metrics of the Bible of like, how, I mean, is this person growing? Like, did they used to struggle with this pursuit of sin? And now they are actually seeing some level of victory. That's what we need to pursue. And so how do, how do we see that? It's probably going to be through, you know, just life on life, rigorous discipleship that takes a long time um, and a lot of a lot of time. Uh, and so if you're doing that, um, then it does become difficult, especially if you're, you know, single student pastor, you don't have an assistant, you don't have, which is the context most all of us mm-hmm. are in, then then it just becomes difficult. Your your forty plus hours a week is used up trying to help those students, um, you know, grow in Christ, and and putting on a really slick event um, may or may not be optional, you know, in that situation. So you're having to choose a life, and those uh, it's just easy to go. Well, I need to get a pop here, so I'm going to just put on some events, and then you get 
uh, locked onto that. And it's a, it's a cycle where you, it's kind of hard to get off of because it, it becomes what the church expects. You don't really know how to transition it. That may be what the guy before you did, you know, all of those sorts of things that, that push against you being able to just, well, instead of that, I'm going to rather drill down and be discipleship driven, gospel centered, you know, and, and just work on these students maturing in Christ and and their parents may not see it that way. There's just there's just all these things that are against us. Yeah. Um, but I think again, you just you go look. I'm, I'm working toward the end of. I will stand before the Lord, uh, Hebrews 13, and I'll give an account. You know, for my ministry and how that I uh, I pursued these things, and that's the real courtroom I'm looking to. And so it's not the courtroom that's telling me I ought to be you know event driven. I, I think you can, you know. You can get around that and then worse come to worse. You just don't want to go down that road. You know, uh, again, just to be clear, I am not against I'm as goofy as they come. Uh, I love a good event. I mean, we did some really some really goofy stuff in my day. um, And and that's that's all well and good. But I try to keep it centered around. I mean, for, I'll, I'll give you an example, and I, I don't know that I would encourage everyone to do this, but we did we did a we did a lock in where I centered the whole thing on the book of Jonah. We preached through the entire book. Um, I did one sermon. We did five. It's four chapters. We did um, five sermons, and I had students, um, young men in, in in my student ministry, preach through one chapter each, and I helped them walk through that. And, oh, wow. uh, and then I preached kind of a summational sermon, but what we did all the way through the night was we actually, I designed games, um, which were probably pretty poorly pulled off actually, uh, designed games that kind of fit with the, the book. Right. And so there yeah. were, there was, you know, the adult tenter, temper tantrum game for chapter four, where they, they did various things. And, um, there was at one point I had them come up and, and we actually had live worms here and they had to say, um, I think it's chapter two, verse 10, salvation comes from the Lord by shoving live more and more live worms in their mouth. And whoever could say it the clearest, the longest won that game, <laughs> you know? And so we did, I think, I think if I remember right, we did clean those worms to some degree by washing them, but they were still live worms nonetheless. And so I'm sure quite a few of them died in the process, but, um, <laughs> Anyway, so that I'm just trying to show you how I try to yeah, wrestle. Yeah. yeah, I try to wrestle with you can still do these things, but if the scriptures and the gospel isn't central, then then you're kind of it's all for naught anyways. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, I I think about for me as um you get such positive feedback. Um, yeah. Oh, the gym was full tonight. Or right. that's exactly there were so right. many people here and it's like, "Oh, that felt good. I want to do it again." And it, so it's just an easy thing to fall into. Your chapter on discipleship, and then for clarity's sake, how would you define discipleship and student ministry? Yeah, yeah. So there are some things I just want to say really, really quickly, and you'll see this in the chapter as well. There's some there's some dangers that I'm not sure are obviously clear to everyone anymore. Um, I I mean, if you take the scriptures seriously, there is a clear divide, regardless of what our culture is saying, between male and female, and there's going to be dangers there. Um, mm-hmm. that as a student pastor, you do need to be really careful. I mean, um, and, and both for perception as well as just reality, um, that, that none of us, I mean, if I constantly think about David, um, and this is a man who loved the Lord and had a great zeal for him and yet was able and capable of, of going to great depths of sin. And so we want to question, um, our own ability to withstand, 
uh, temptation and those sorts of things. Um, but so that being said, I think that you really do need to deploy women um, in your local church in a Titus two kind of way to be the primary disciplers of those gals in your church. Um, they'll be most comfortable in that. Uh, and, and it, and it makes the most sense. So you want to do, if you're talking what, what, what I call in the chapter one-on-one discipleship, where you're reading through Mm -hmm. Colossians or something like that, and you take, you take them through that in five weeks, I'm imagining that being a female, uh, you know, an older woman, older saint, um, walking that younger female through that book, uh, and then vice versa with, with men, right? So a younger man. And, and then I think you can also think through, uh, whether there needs to be another male with you, right? Just for right. being careful there, especially if you're dealing with someone who who is struggling, you know, uh, with some level of sexual immorality or whatever. I, I just think it's helpful. It's it, you're trying to be careful. Um, now that leads into what what is the content of what that is, uh, and I think you want to use a study Bible or something like that. But I think we really can think through the health of our student ministry based on. How much one-on-one discipleship am I uh, getting going here? And uh, you're trying to train and deploy your youth workers to do that. You know, that if your youth workers basically see themselves as like events drivers, like they just kind of come and help you execute an event, that's maybe mm-hmm. a good litmus test as to how much discipleship you're actually getting done. Um, because if it's all just kind of, yeah, it's going to be event driven, then that's how they'll see themselves. But if your student workers see themselves as deployed uh, disciplers and they actually pretty regularly meet with students and they're, you know, that's part of their Sunday school scenario, small groups, whatever, um, then that's, that's probably a good, a good indicator. And I think you just walk, you know, passage by passage and and address that. And I use Colossians because it's a good example, but in chapter one, I mean, you're driving home uh, the Messiah figure of the world. You know, who is this man who, um, has come to save people who would not save themselves and, did, and and blasted him all the way through. And you're walking, this is Jesus. And then chapter two, this is how this is transformational. Um, and you're driving home this idea of substitutionary atonement and, and who Jesus is, how he paid for our sins on the cross. Chapter three, you get very specific on these are the deeds of the flesh. These are the deeds of the spirit. And you put off these things and put on these things. Chapter four is pretty local church centric. And you just walk through those things. You know, it, it's not, it's not, um, you know, rocket surgery. Uh, I mean, you're, you're actually just going, okay, I need to understand this text to some degree. I don't have to understand all of it because we're going to meet, meet together for 45, 50 minutes, uh, maybe an hour, whatever. And we're just going to talk and we're going to trust that the Lord's going to use it. So you read that passage, you talk through it a little bit, um, you try to map that onto their own personal life. If they have a home that is just a wreckage, then that's obvious that's what you would talk about. So if it's chapter one and you're talking about Jesus, then you're saying, you know what? There is a place in the universe that is more firm than you could ever imagine. And you just you just dive into who the character of who Jesus is and, and what he's really like and that he runs the cosmos, right, in Colossians 1. I mean, this is his place. And so you want to give your life to him. And you would just, you know, you'd walk through those things. In chapter 3, uh, whatever degree of, I mean, I mean, sexual immorality is always going to be a thing, you know, with, with, with teenagers. You're going to address that, and that's fine. You talk through that and go, how are you doing, you, you know? Um, and, and wherever that student is, if he's not a believer, then you're going, Hey, are you getting way late on this? You need to turn from your sin. You need to turn to this Christ of chapter one and, 
an indicator would be, you know, are you following the Lord in holiness? Um, and if they are a believer and they're, you know, they're struggling with that, then you can, you can go pretty in depth on, you know, how is your battle plan going and how are you working through, you know, your, your internet usage and so on and so forth. And, uh, so I think that's what I'm, I'm asking for. And, you know, after you go through Colossians, go through John, you know, go through Proverbs, you know, just, it's, it's a, it's pretty simple. Um, it's scary for people who don't want, are kind of scared that like, I'm not going to know all the answers. And I I would just go, man, just jump in the deep end and just bring you, bring you a study Bible and you'll be okay. Like the Holy Spirit's with you and he's guiding you and he loves to, reveal Jesus Christ to people. And so that, that's how I, that's what I'm imagining. Is that, is that answer your question? Is there anything? It I does. Develop it for does. Okay. No, that that's, that's great. Now in, you mentioned it briefly as you described that. Um, but in the book, you highlight a need for cross-generational ministry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We spent so many years of working to separate our students and give them their own space, their yeah. own, uh, identity. Um, what do we do to help bring about that reintegration? Yeah, um, it's going to be a little different in whatever context you're dealing with, mm-hmm. but I think it's going to start with that student pastor and the pastor working together. Um, when you're get when you're siloed, uh, is like okay, this is my ministry and this is my area, and I'm the student pastor. Uh, then there's no way you're going to overcome that. I mean, you're actually just going to reinforce that divide because it's kind of you know us us and no more kind of deal. And and I've actually run into quite a bit of. Um, pastors, senior pastors, if you will, who don't really run a staff. They just run kind of, they manage, um, you know, I don't know, they just manage areas or something. And so I think it starts with that senior pastor saying, you know, I'm going to be lock in step with this student pastor because we're all working together to get these people, you know, discipled um, and, and following Christ and ready for the day of judgment when they present their lives as living sacrifices. And so, I think that you have to work in that in that um, uh, with those pastors to try to discern how can we have a coalescing ministry that all works together. So one way you break that down, and, and you know, I don't, I, I hope I don't. Well, I do hope I step on toes. I was going to say I don't. <laughs> it, like to start with, if you have a if you have a student ministry that meets during the corporate worship on a Sunday morning, and they're literally divided from that local church as a mm-hmm. whole, that's where you start. Like, do not do that. I mean, that is the clearest indicator that we are not together, you know, on this. And so there's just little things like that. I, I've just seen that as a play as well. You know, a lot of, um, there's this sense of like, let's pull them out. It's just a longer standing children's ministry, if you will. So if you're, if your church keeps kids till they're four or five years old or whatever, six, seven, um, then we just keep doing that, you know, on through high school. And I'm like, that is a bad idea because they're just going to be dropped on their head um, when they're when they're 18 and they've they have no context for what it was even like to be in a local church. And that's the real prize. He I mean, the Lord is saying in Titus, uh, excuse me. Yeah. Titus, two, uh, as you indicated, it's about this whole church cross uh, cross generationally working together. Um, and older women are teaching younger women and older men teaching younger men. And, and that that's going to uh, that's going to be broad. But you can't deny that that is an age difference and that younger people need um, older people to help them walk through. I, I was just recently reading um, preparing for a sermon talk, uh, about I'm just going to run through the life of Solomon 
and just do a, a high point 11 chapter exposition of, of first Kings uh, one through 11 and Rehoboam is his son. Right. And so Rehoboam does not listen to his father. He doesn't listen. And he joins around this council around him of his friends who do not know the right way to go because they're young and they're foolish. And he should have listened to the counsel of these older men to run this kingdom that the Lord has, you know, kind of plopped in his lap. And instead he doesn't, and he divides the kingdom immediately. Um, and so there's just a sense of we need older generations to help us think through. I, I am desperate um, at 35 years old to understand what does it look like for me to carry my five-year-old daughter through, um, you know, high school and into college. I don't know those things yet. I actually need other people to help me walk through it and, and to, you know, work through those things. So, yeah. Mm. Well, I know that we're far from perfect here at the church I'm connected to, yeah. um, but we've done some positive things. We yeah. are using the Gospel Project, which Great. uses yep. uh, curriculum all across the board. It's all on the same thing. So as families, yeah. moms and dads can talk to their kids about what they're studying and uh, from a similar place. And I love that. Uh, Wednesday nights right now, instead of having a completely separate message, we're using that because I have a small group. Uh, we're going back over what the pastor has covered on Sundays. And yeah, so we're tying in those concepts and yes. just reinforcing things. And so, yeah, it's it's a powerful thing um, to pull those things together and uh, to work as one body. Yeah, and, that's great. And man, that's what we got to do. Well, um, you you share in a chapter about discipleship, and then you share in a chapter on sexual holiness. Yeah. And so the article that starts that is that a healthy student uh, ministry emphasizes a culture of repentance and sexual holiness, uh, oath that, rather than a legalistic or guilt-driven purity culture. While sex is a subject that's often is addressed in student ministry, what specifically led you to the inclusion of a chapter on sexual holiness in a book about student ministry? Yeah, sure. Great question. Um, yeah, and this is a subject that's really near and dear to my heart and, and to Mallory's heart. Um, and the, even the title, Sexual Holiness, is intentional. Mm-hmm. I, I chose that instead of sexual purity. Um, in, in the Bible consistently, the Lord calls us to purity. There's not a rejection of that in any sense. It's more of, I'm trying to call in a sense, uh, for a nomenclature change. Um, I think purity, the way it's manifested in what's called purity culture today, uh, especially in youth ministry has been a little bit cast in the, in the shade of, um, you either have it or you don't. Right. And, and, and there is a sense in which that's true. Um, God's designed that uh, that we um, are to you know, save ourselves sexually for our spouse and that that's to remain for that covenant alone. That that is true. Um, we also live, surprise, surprise, in a very pagan culture. You know, regardless of what people think, I mean, we are a very pagan people. Um, you just there's not a single thing if you were to turn on you know, Netflix, TV, you know, whatever, you're not going to see any shred of like, oh, this is a Christ-like culture. I mean, it's just not there. And so that's going to produce certain people um, that we are struggling and coming to, you know, we make it to 16, 17, 18 years old with about as much sexual baggage as, as Southwest Airlines. I mean, we're just not doing well in this area. So I'm trying to call for what Jesus is doing whenever he meets people of a uh, very sinful past. And he doesn't present to them like, well, 
you're just kind of, this is ruined for you. Like you're, you're sullied and there's no returning. What he does is say, repent, turn from your sin. You know, I can save you. This is what I do. Um, I'm in the business of, of cleaning up and, and caring for broken sinners um, that have made really tragic decisions. And so the chapter is, is trying to go and help that person who, I mean, whatever student stumbles into your student ministry on Wednesday night, they may be struggling with various forms of transgenderism. I mean, there's a, a I mean, uh, homosexuality or, or just straight on like, yeah, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend, like wherever they are, they're going to come in there. And if they hear um, sexual purity, you need to save yourself for marriage. They do need to hear that. I'm not saying don't don't say that. That is the the template that the Lord has held out for us. But if what they only hear is, well, that's not available to me, so I'm done here. You know, like I, that's just not I'm, I've already messed that up. Um, then that's not the right message. You know, what what we need to say is what Jesus is saying is like repentance, uh, repentance and a life of holiness is available to you right now. Um, turn away from your sin. It is going to be death for you over and over and over again. And so help me. Let me help you walk out of that. Um, let me show you that Jesus saves and he saves to the full and he redeems people who are unredeemable uh, in their own, you know, terms and ways. And so that's what the chapter is really about. And, and I, I mean, I, um, I mean, I go from that level to, I mean, I have, as anyone else would, I mean, my own sexual brokenness from my past that I'm bringing into meeting eventually who's going to be my wife, Mallory, and, and we're having to work through all those things. And, and we landed in a, in a world of, um, unless you think that I'm like lightening the load here, right. Of, of like, I don't, I don't think Mallory that that we should kiss until that we're married because that is like the launch sequence of sexual intimacy, and so there's no way that this is a good idea for us, you know, to to pursue these avenues. And so I'm actually quite um, uh, puritanical, I guess you could say, on on like where this actually goes. But there's a difference in receiving people like Christ and saying, "Look, I don't expect you to come in on Wednesday night or Sunday night, whenever your student ministry is." assuming that you have anything of this intact. Um, I mean, maybe some of the students will be like that because they have great parents who, by God's grace, have discipled them and raised them and protected them. But that is, by and large, uh, an eroding real estate, you know, in our culture of just they need to hear Jesus does save them and he can walk them out. Um, And it may be years. They may never fully walk out of whatever sexual, you know, uh, baggage that they've just kind of run into in earlier times of their life, but that God does save. Um, and so, and, and then, yeah, just not lightening the load of, of like, he does expect holiness. You know, if, if he's saying mm, yeah. that when we, when we, um, you know, look at a woman with lust in our heart, that that is adultery, then he's not, you know, calm on this. I mean, this is something he's going to no, know. I'm trying to save you out of this. And so if they're not married, then whoever they're fooling around with or, or looking at on the internet, that's not their wife. That is not their right. husband. And the Lord has not designed their their life to work that way. And he's trying to save them out of that. And um, so anyway, that that's that was kind of the burden there. And I mean, maybe one other thing I'd say on it as well is like what what I think is going on with the repentance deal and, and even purity culture or what has been termed purity culture is you have a whole group of people who uh, they did a purity ring or what have you, and, and and I'm not by any means trashing those things, but there's a sense in which they may have put their hope in that 
uh, covenant, if you will, or, or that agreement with their parents or whatever. And then they ended up getting married and maybe they were virgins when they got married. And then they got into, you know, marriage and they realized, well, this isn't heaven. You know, like this is actually still difficult, uh, like understanding like how marital intimacy works and all of those things. And they were kind of sold a false gospel that, you know, if I just stay pure until I'm married, then like all my hopes and dreams will come true. And it'll be like this euphoric thing on the other side of marriage. And then they were they were let down. Um, and so you, you can see that that like just pure uh, unsullied sexual morality um, doesn't necessarily result in, you know, uh, just this perfect marriage. Um, I mean, it's still work. You're still going to have to be a servant and care for, you know, your spouse. And then on the other end, someone who comes in, I have dear friends, dear friends who have wonderful marriages and they were absolute uh, <laughs> just pagans, you know, and then the Lord saved them in the, in the early twenties or whatever. And they, ha- they have wonderful thriving, um, sexual intimate relationships with their, with their spouse because Jesus has saved them, you know? And so, uh, anyway, I'm just saying that as like, they're, they're not like perfect paradigms. And, and I'm, I'm trying to call towards sexual holiness from the vantage point of student ministry. That is, is a, a, a larger, subset of a of a larger issue right of like what does it look like to walk in, right. in sexual holiness for the rest of your life um and so anyway yeah so it, it was a, it was a fun and difficult chapter uh to write so well i know at our retreat you talked about a, a lot of this and and so i i, I kind of knew where you were coming from as i was reading and and i just appreciate it because it is so important um, you talk about in your book, you talk about bumping up against social norms and teaching and leading our students in God honoring relationships. Yeah. So on a practical mindset, where do we start with that with our students? Yeah. So I have a list of questions uh, it, it, towards the back of like my, my main um, next steps on it was was a list of questions. And, okay. and I focused in heavily on First uh, Thessalonians chapter four of this idea. He, he is calling us to care for our brother and sister in Christ and, and that we need to, to treat them with absolute um, holiness and, and purity. And so the next step uh, and questions where I think that you want to absorb those um, as best as possible to think through, how can I help this student um, grapple with uh, where his relationship or her relationship is? Like if they're, if they're getting... Yeah, if they're 14 years old and they can't, they're not anywhere near uh, being able to uh, sign a lease to get an apartment, um, then I'm not sure that that's a great idea, you know, to have a, a longstanding dating relationship because you you really only stand to to hurt yourselves. And so maybe you do better to focus on school and trying to prepare yourself for one day taking on a covenant that this person is forever instead of being, you know, distracted. If you're 18, and you find yourself, man, this is a very godly woman uh, that's in my youth group. And, and I actually I, I think that like she has some potential for for marriage here. And, and I would maybe I could conceive of spending my life with this woman. I think that's a, a little different because you're, you're 18 years old or whatever. Um, that doesn't change the fact that that's not your wife or that's not your husband. Um, and you want to be careful about how you manage those. Uh, I mean, for instance, alone time or, or the lack thereof, I would mm-hmm. argue for yeah. less than that. I mean, why don't you spend time with your parents, you know, eating dinner and, um, uh, and getting to know, you know, other students in your student ministry, like sin grows in the darkness. We know that. 
Um, we shouldn't really trust ourselves too much with those sorts of things. And um, so I think that it ought to be a really public project. Um, and, and I'm fine with the term courtship, I guess. Um, I just don't know that it's all that helpful. I mean, it's, it, I think it's more important what you're actually doing, you know, in the middle of that, right. if you want to call right. it dating, you know, or dorting, whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> I mean, it is fine. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, trying to work through that and make sure that this is a holy situation where we are calling ourselves to holiness. Um, I may have said this a second ago, I can't remember, but I do want to touch on it. Um, I mean, if, if one or the other or both are um, just getting destroyed on, in, on the level of just pornography, um, then this probably isn't what they need to be pursuing. They're not in a situation where they're healthy enough mm. to actually focus on that. They need to focus on walking faithfully with Christ and not adding in a new you know, subject matter of like, okay, well, how do I manage this? And so, yeah, I think those are some ways, but um, those questions in the back of just thinking through with those students is, is this even the right thing? If they're both pulling each other um, more towards Christ, then man, that's probably a pretty healthy, healthy uh, relationship there. You know, if they are both more holy uh, because of each other and they push each other towards Christ, which is where Mallory and I eventually found ourselves um, uh, of just going, w- w- yeah, I don't mean eventually, like we found ourselves going, okay, God has us at a position now where we can, you know, conceive of marriage. And when we began to pursue one another, um, we realized that we both were pushing each other more and more towards Christ. And so I think that's a good thing. Now, I, I, I can't say that of earlier relationships. Like they were, it was a struggle. It was kind of working through figuring out, okay, I actually don't think this is super healthy in this area and that area. But so I'm not saying we presented and all of a sudden I I knew what I was doing, but yeah, I think that's your litmus test is, is me pursuing this person. Am I closer to Christ than not? Then man, that's one worth holding on to. If it's not, then it's like, this isn't hard. Like God's will for your life, as he says in first Thessalonians four is sexual holiness. So you want to, you want to go, okay, that's God's will for my life. I can break up with this person, you know? Um, so anyway, yeah. Well, Sam, I, I definitely want to thank you for, um, for the book. I think this the type of thing that's needed, something that's good, that's sound, that is concise, that that as someone who works with other student pastors that I can put in their hands and go, hey, check this out. Look at your student ministry and see where you're at. So thanks for being with us uh, today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if, if someone would like to get in touch with you and find out more about your ministry or specifically that of Spurgeon College at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for, for asking. So SpurgeonCollege.com is uh, where you would go, and, and we're here in, in Kansas City. Uh, so SpurgeonCollege.com. And then there's, um, yeah, anything, you, you can get my email there as well uh, and, and reach out to me. It would be great. Um, I, I also, yeah, on there, there's if if you want me to come out and speak at something, I'm happy to do that. There's a, there's a speaker page on there as well. And so, yeah, um, anyone, any student that you have in student ministry that is, is serious about, um, I want to study the Bible as I go through college. Um, then, then, man, I think we're your spot. Uh, we, we major on that. Um, so we, we do have um, a great business degree. We have a great, great communications degree. We have the programs I mentioned early, earlier, Accelerate and Fusion. Um, if, if you have a student who, man, they just have a desire to take the gospel to the nations, then we're your folks. Um, and so, yeah, just reaching out to us there would be great. 
And uh, yeah, let us know. I mean, how is the book helpful? Is there anything you'd push back on me on those sorts of things? And so I'm, I'm happy to engage those deals. And, and I'm on uh, Twitter um, uh, at Ecclesiologian. Um, and that is, uh, has now taken on its own life uh, of its own. It, meant, it was meant to be a joke early on, but it's actually, um, it's still there. So anyway, so Ecclesiologian is my handle. Ecclesiologian. Yeah. Well, you can get a copy of Sam's book, Fulfill Your Student Ministry, through Amazon or other book distributors. And if you'd like a chance to win a free copy, um, send me an email at info at studentministrymatters.com and include Sam's favorite barbecue place in Kansas City. Sam, one more time, what was that? Yeah, it, uh, it rhymes with schmoes. Uh, so Joe's, Joe's Casey. Yeah. All right. Well, Sam, it's been great to speak with you today. We'll be praying for you, for your family, and for your ministry with Spurgeon College. Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much, Dan, for having us on. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. Get connected at studentministrymatters.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Student Ministry Matters. Until next time, keep up the great work with your students because the work matters.